I was saying to a friend this week, this sermon is by far the hardest to write uh, and to deliver throughout the whole of the year. Um, probably because it's the last sermon I, I kind of preach in the academic year. I go away for two weeks and then come back September the 1st. Boom, we're back in it again. And it's all very exciting. Um, September the 1st, we've got Lily's dedication, Thanksgiving. Sorry, I was going to get that right. Um, which is really brilliant. Um, but it's going to be a sad farewell to a leader as well. So sob, sob. Uh, for that. Um, but why is this sermon so hard to prepare? Well, I guess, I guess firstly, because, um, you know, you get to just before a holiday, isn't that the time you most need the holiday? You're, you're, you're tired, you kind of, you, you need that recuperation and so on. I think that is true for me, and there we go. So it's hard for that reason. But secondly, because our hearts and minds before holiday, they're kind of nearly there, aren't they? Uh, we, we've been talking about it with the kids already this week. We're going back to a similar place we've been to before. So we talk about things that we've done before. And we go, hey, should we go for a bike ride there? Should we do this? And so on. So you're, you're kind of, your heart and mind are nearly there. Uh, that's why it's difficult. There is in our house at the moment a kind of sense of wistfulness. What I mean by that is that we long kind of to be somewhere else. It's just a few days away. And it's like that as this psalm begins, if you like. There's a sense of wistfulness, there's that deep longing, even sadness, a bit of melancholy in, in the way that he writes, for not quite being there yet. Look at verse 1 and 2, and you'll get the idea. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh, they cry out. For the living God. See, the, the psalmist longs to be in the earthly city of Jerusalem as it was in all of its splendour. His mind is focusing very much in his heart there on the, on the centre of that, of, of Mount Zion, with the temple of God, where God was to be dwell, dwelling in his, what we call his Shekinah glory, his burning glory, if you like. This is about a psalm looking forward to being in that place. Um, It's about dreaming of the future, if you like, but allowing those dreams, allowing that forward-lookingness to change the present. That is not to wish away the journey or or regret the journey, but rather keeping that end point of the journey as the focus and the hope of the journey. But at the same time, the the guy's writing is he's got to live in the present and, and enjoy all the blessings. All the happiness that God promises to the one journeying to him on Mount Zion. The word blessing here is used actually three times to characterise the pilgrim, the journeyman in this psalm. First time in the the opening verses, it's used, the commentators would say, in a wistful way, a longing to be in this place. Then in verse 5, you see it's used kind of resolutely, blessed um, or happy are they. And then verse 12, with a kind of a deep contentment. This psalm, just to summarise that, is to encourage us toward wistful, resolute contentment as we make our journey. Now, because we're Christians, our destination is not the earthly Jerusalem. You don't have to go down to the travel agents and sort that out. No, uh, to a heavenly one, a heavenly Jerusalem. Where our anointed one, King Jesus, sits vindicated and enthroned. 
next to his father to welcome us weary pilgrims home. And so as all the psalmists you see prays and longs for, we know that all that has been answered in the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus, you see, he's the one that's fulfilled the altars. Um, that we, the psalmist longs to be near in verse 3 because Jesus is the once for all um, perfect sacrifice who's taken on himself the wrath of God when he was crucified on his altar, a better altar. Jesus has established God's presence amongst us by his spirit, that presence that the psalmist so longs for when he enters the courts of God in the temple there. Oh, it's a better presence. For it comes now to all places, to all people who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has also established a new heavenly Jerusalem, a one they bring down the new creation, a better creation than we now know, unsullied by sin and its effects. And that is why, when you get to, for example, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 22, listen to what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion. You Christians, he says in Hebrews 12, 22, have come to Mount Zion. You who trust in Christ, he says, come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in the joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, he says, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We come to God through Jesus, whose blood speaks a better word. That is, it speaks of and establishes a new covenant, an eternal covenant. It is because of Jesus that we can know the courts and the dwelling place of God, that this psalmist so longs for. We're not yet there yet, are we? But many of us know, as Paul says in his his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, we're citizens of heaven. We know that. And therefore, we're we're waiting to go home. And so, as he says later in Philippi, uh, to the church in, in Philippi, press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. You see, many of us here today... Be thankful for this. We can sing, we can read this psalm and learn because we know of the Jerusalem it speaks of for us. The heavenly Jerusalem, heaven, our eternal rest. If you can't sing this psalm, then listen, hear the joy and the peace in the voices of the choir. Know why they sing with certainty and note that there is still space in the choir for you. You just need to entrust that better sacrifice whose blood speaks a better word. Now, let me just give you a bit of a background. Psalms, they they kind of have two functions, well, two main ways that you listen and, and, and sing them. They're both songs given for us to sing to God to praise him, Um, they're wonderful in that way because there is a whole psalm for every day of your life really, however you feel, whatever situation you find yourself in, whether you feel distant from God or very, very close to God, whether you've, you know, being obeying God in your life or there's been some rebellion. Uh, There is a psalm for all of us 
however we are, every day. But the Psalms, they're not only given for us to sing to God, however we feel, but they're also words from God to us. That is, they're instructive, they're quite corrective at times. The Psalms we're looking at today, and pretty much anyone, you can read them both ways, but they have that kind of dual function. So we can read, and like the psalmist, have those wistful longings for the heavenly Jerusalem when we see God face to face, where there's no more crying, death, pain, you know, and so on. But we can also read this psalm and hear its corrective and instructive tone. That is, I mean, when you hear the contentment of the psalmist as, he, as he's journeying near the end... I wonder whether we have that contentment ourselves on our journey today. And maybe that needs to be a corrective for you. Do you know that kind of contentment as you journey towards the heavenly Jerusalem? How does your heart need to sing this passage? Well, let's dig into the passage. We get to our first point here. We see in the first four verses a wistful longing. Let's remind ourselves of those first three verses again. They are amazing, aren't they? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have a young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God." Guess what you see from that? What is clear from the psalmist is that he's not there yet. But his wistful longing is for something that is, wow, kind of blows his mind, his heart, his everything. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Such is the, loving, is the loveliness of the thing he longs for. Every fibre is being. We notice all the ways it's described. My, my, my soul, my heart, my flesh. Everything longs, yearns. An old but very good translation of verse 2 put it this way. I pine and I faint with longing. Look at the cry as well in verse 2. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's not necessarily a joyful cry. But it certainly is, by its translation, a loud cry. When you want something really badly, uh, we know what it feels like, doesn't it, for, for all of us to yearn, to, to feel uh, you know, how much we want something. But our cries could be cries of impatience, couldn't they? They could be cries of just frustration at not getting what we really want. You might know that feeling if, you, if you've been missing a loved one and you know, you've been away on work or you know, wherever it may be or you're going home to see your mum and dad and you, you kind of long to be there to get back to you know, some kind of home cover, whatever it may be. And you get frustrated, don't you? You count the days down, you count the hours down. The waiting can be difficult, even frustrating. Now, you feel that more, don't you? when the object of our longing is greater in our hearts than the current situation we find ourselves in. Now clearly the object of the psalmist's longing and heart is God, the living God, he states there. Now clearly God by his nature is an object of infinite value. 
But we know in our hearts, don't we? I mean, I, I know this, you will know this. That that infinite value of God can be so overlooked, can't it? In our own hearts and minds, day by day. Because we begin to look around and other things captivate our hearts, don't they? As the rest of the psalm shows, a preoccupation with God himself is not only constructive in our lives, but, but will also bring us the greatest blessing, the greatest happiness, if you like. Blessed, verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. There is blessing, there is, there is happiness to be found with those who dwell with God, whose preoccupation, whose soul, mind and heart and strength is everything focused towards God. Notice also in verse 3, there's that lovely sense of jealousy, isn't there? Have you seen that? There's the sparrows and the swallows. They get, they're in the courts of God. They've kind of got this front row seat and he's a bit hacked off about that. Birds are home, yet the pilgrim is journeying and he, he's not quite really enjoying the fact that he's not there. And yet he longs to be. But his eyes are fixed. There's this wistful longing. One scholar uh, called it an ardent longing. Such is the narrow focus of his heart and mind. That he wants to be with God. Dwelling with God. Hearing God. That is the object of his longing is utterly God. His eyes are fixed on his goal. His prize, his life, his love, the living God. There's a wistful longing because the psalmist understands that there is great blessing for those who dwell, whose preoccupation is God. Do you believe that? Do you have that heavenly homesickness, as one commentator put it? Or do you put it as Paul puts it to the church in Philippi? Do you press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us? heavenwards in Christ Jesus or you will if the object of your longing your heart your soul your strength your your flesh everything is God and you will not if the object of your longing is anything but the living God now let me just a few applications from that those first few verses they're pretty simple aren't they I think for us as individuals notice the psalmist just singular longing is that yours Secondly, I guess we need to examine our own hearts and minds. I mean, nowhere we falter for things when, we, when our eyes are captivated, our hearts are captivated on, on things that are temporal rather than eternal. What clutters our hearts, our souls, our, our flesh, our minds? Thirdly, I guess we need to see the value of the objects we desire and see what they really are in a sense. Are they just temporal thrills? Momentary securities, fickle assurances? Or do you long for that infinite assurance? That eternal security, that never-ending joy, that blessedness of verse 4. Can you say, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's good to think corporately for a moment, isn't it? 
If we cry out for the living God, there ought to be a similar sense when two or three are gathered together, and we've got a few more than that today, um, you know, when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, as Christians, we're the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as one Peter tells us. So as we draw near together, as we come together, as we gather, we come near to God, because God resides in each of our hearts by his Spirit. So do you long to be with God's people in his church? Let's move on. Let's look at the resolute joy of the journey. The resolute journey. Let, um, let's look at verse 5 to verse 8. Let me read it again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Let me just move on to verse 6 of account. I'll come back to verse 5. But look at the sense of realism that the psalmist kind of throws out here. The valley of Bacala, if it was just in the singular, the word is it's kind of a tree that gives off this kind of balsam. But because it's in the plural, it's a very... Odd little term, but it it really means a kind of a desert place, a dry place, a a place of trial, of difficulty, if you like. And what the psalmist is doing is giving the song a kind of a new direction here. The psalmist is not where they long to be, that's clear from the first few few verses, yet they, they refuse to kind of settle down and sort of put a bit of a grumpy, you know, kind of mood on and say, oh, I haven't got what I want, therefore I'll just mope for a while. There's no kind of vain regret here in the psalmist. If he cannot be with God in the earthly Jerusalem and Mount Zion, enjoying his presence in the courts of of the Lord, well, instead he's going to find some strength in the journey. And this reality of of verse 6 is kind of all around us, isn't it? This valley of Bacar, this difficult, dry, desolate place. We all face struggles, don't we? Some of you will be worrying about work, whether it's future prospects or it's just the burden of the amount of work you've got right now and deadlines and and so on. Work will consume some of our hearts and minds, I'm sure. And bosses which are difficult. and Of course, some of us will just have the financial struggles. It's just been hard over the last few months. Some of us have relationship issues where... We're not sure of how things are going or or we'd love something to happen, but it's not, and and so on. There'll be illness, there'll be loss, there'll be bereavement, there'll be trouble with the kids. There are so many valleys of backer in in each of our lives where we struggle, where it's hard. And some of you might be there right now. And the reality is that Every one of us as pilgrims heading towards the new Jerusalem will face this kind of struggle. But have a look at it, verse 6, it's amazing. Despite that struggle, even in the biggest of trials of all of our lives, look what happens to the pilgrim who trusts in, in the strength of God. What happens? There's springs of water, there's pools, there's autumn rains, there's refreshments. How? Why don't you turn back to verse 5 and see the how? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, 
who have set their hearts on the pilgrim. What you see here is there's both an external strength for the pilgrim, but also an internal strength that transforms, that both of them work together to transform the desert valley of of Baca into pools and springs and, and flowing water. Places of refreshment and joy. Let's look at the external strength first. Uh, the, the pilgrim is kind of the journey, but the one on the way to the, us, heavenly Jerusalem. Look, their strength is in you, it says. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you. That is the one journeying, the one going through the struggle, plugs themselves into God and, and they find strength in him. They don't try and do this alone. They know their weakness. You know your weaknesses. And if you follow the psalmist, you turn to God, where you find the infinite strength. God's blessing or true happiness is found in and through the trials of life. It's there in verse um, verse 5. They refine us. That is the blessing. They call us to turn to the God who has infinite strength. To trust him that he will provide all we need, maybe not all we want but always all we need. But there's an internal strength too. Look at verse 5 again. Those who strengthened you, who have set their hearts, set their hearts on pilgrimage. What he's saying is a blessing. There is, there is contentment. There is happiness found on the one whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. That is the, that's why I've put the term resolute joy down there, because there's, there's a resoluteness to the journeyman here, who says, well, the, the road is tough, but I'm going to go along it, and I see that it is well trodden, actually. The, the word used here, the, the highways word, the pilgrim word there at the end of verse 5, it depicts a... a Perhaps even a raised road up, or uh, certainly a well-trodden route. And the, the blessing comes as the, as the pilgrim, as the, the journeyman, looks along and sees that he's not alone. That this road may be tough at times, but he sees the footprints of those who have clung to God despite the trials of life. And he sees and rejoices in and through the trial. Uplifted by God and uplifted by those who have walked before him. The blessing of verse 5, the happiness there, blessing happiness, is the same word used in Matthew there, of the you know, kind of beatitudes there, beatitude word there. It's not a pain-free blessing. Happiness in God's eyes is not some kind of euphoric bliss. It is a refining love. It is going from strength to strength until we meet God face to face, the one who gives us all strength. To get there. So how can we make it a fruitful journey? We need both the external strength of God that can bring streams of refreshing water into the dry desert of our lives. But we also need that internal strength, a heart committed to God, knowing God, filled with the character and assurances of God from his word. And the encouragement of the people of God who walk before us. Blessed are those who find strength in God. I found over the last couple of years, I've been looking at a lot of old hymns, actually, for various reasons. One of the great encouragements I've found is um, a great old hymn writer called William Cowper. And I've been reading through a number of his hymns. 
He was a, a man who was clinically depressed, though of course in that time it was just described as melancholy. He was clinically depressed, he was suicidal on a number of occasions. Five times in all he tried to commit suicide in his life. I guess the valley of Baca for him was a reality every morning as he woke up. And yet springs and pools flooded his life. Strengthened by God with that heart resolute to continue on the journey towards his heavenly Jerusalem. Just listen to some of the pools, to use that imagery. Listen to some of the autumn rain of William Cowper's hymns. This is from There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Ever since by faith I saw the stream your flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Let me read that again. Ever since by faith I saw the stream your flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Only those whose strength is in God will resolutely make this journey. And they will, as Cowper did, go from strength to strength to strength to strength. Is that your prayer? As you journey towards the new Jerusalem? That pools and springs and autumn rains will flow from your life. Where people around are going... You should be in a dry and desolate place. You should be going through a serious trial. And you are, but yet there is joy, confounding joy, as Calvary writes in another hymn. As as you display the majesty and the strength of God that is within you to those around you. Can you pray as the psalmist says, hear my prayer, O Lord, God Almighty, listen to me. O God of Jacob. So there's a wistful longing, the resolute journey, a contented perspective to uh, to finish with. Let's go to verse 10 if we can. I'm going to skip a verse, but I'm going to go back to it, so don't panic. But here we go, verse 10, look at this. This is the verse, as we all know, and it's very exciting. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do you get that? Amazing, isn't it? Better is one day in the presence of God, with God, than three years-ish somewhere else. With anyone else, any place on the earth, one day with God, better than three years anywhere else. Look what it says. um, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now the psalmist, I remember listening to one preacher on this, he called it the janitor's psalm because it was American and he was like... You know, doorkeeper, janitor, I don't get it. But anyway, you know, he's probably referencing himself here. He's got a very lowly position. Basically, he's got the worst seat in the house of the Lord. Yet he's saying, better there than in the tent, the place of intimacy, the, the front seat, the front row of the wicked. Do you get the perspective? Now, verse, tell, verse 11 sorry, tells us why a moment with God is so good in comparison to anything else. Follow with me very quickly. For the Lord God is a sun. That is a picture of warmth. The sun provides us with life. Eternal life. Salvation. The Lord God is a sun. The, the Lord God is also a sun, but he's also a shield. The 
the shield. It's a beautiful picture of protection, isn't it? Of strength, security. Let's go on. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. What an amazing picture of grace. Undeserved, unmerited grace and glory. And hence why he finishes in verse 12. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now we could end there and you could, you could see the perspective. He's, he's saying yeah, better, there's a good perspective there. Better is to be in God's presence and so on. But who's our shield? Who's our son? Well, Jesus is our son, of course, isn't he? He's the blood that brought us salvation, life, warmth. He's our shield as well. He's, his life, death and resurrection bring us strength for today, hope for tomorrow and certainty for an eternity to come. And Jesus is the source of all grace and all glory for each one of us who put our trust in him. So as verse 9 says, if you look back to that, we look upon our shield. We look upon the Lord Jesus For God has looked with favour on Jesus, our anointed one. And he has vindicated him and sits with him in glory and waits to welcome his pilgrims home. There is a wistful longing, a resolute journey, a contented perspective. But you kind of get to the end and you go, how? How? Well, verse 9, I think, is the key. We need to look on the shield. We need to look upon our shield. We need to trust in him and know the blessings which this psalm points out in those threefold blessings. Blessed are. And we need to, need to know those blessings now, today, in this life, tomorrow, in the valleys of Baca that we'll find in our lives in these next few days and weeks and months. But we need to know them for all eternity. Can you say with the psalmist, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty? Does my soul yearn, even faint for the courts of the Lord? My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Look, we're going um, to finish there. We've got a, a song actually at the end. I put this down thinking that some people might know, but I don't think you will. It's, it's an old Matt Redman song from many, many years ago. Um, and it, I couldn't find, apart from an old hymn which none of you would have known at all, um, anything that really very clearly speaks um, Psalm 84 and reminds us of it to finish with. So what I thought we'd do is, just in a moment of quiet, um, maybe we just pray in our own hearts. And then... Um, Jenny and I are going to try and sing this. If you know it, stay seated if you want and sing it with me. If not, just listen in. And use it, I guess, as a prayer to end our service. If that's okay, I'll just say amen at the end and, uh, and then we can go. All right, so just a moment of quiet and, uh, and then we'll sing together. <laughs>